Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference where we help you live your faith in public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Good morning, Kit. Hey, good morning, Jason. Good morning to all our listeners. Hope that you are having a very blessed weekend. You can catch us each Saturday here on Relevant Radio AM 1330 at 11 a.m. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, just visit mncatholic.org podcast. Again, that's mncatholic.org podcast. You can also find the Bridge Builder program on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Each week, we try to bring you great interviews on some of the major issues impacting how we live our faith in public light. We also answer your questions, and you can mail those to our mailbag segment, and that email is show at mncatholic.org. Again, show at mncatholic.org, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And it wouldn't be the Bridge Builder if we didn't provide you with practical ways that you can become a missionary disciple in the public arena. In today's society, we seem to be more divided than ever along party lines, ideological lines, and even within the church uh, ourselves. There's so much polarization and division, and it often leaves people wondering whether we can ever find common, common ground to build the common good. Yet, I would say that on our work at the Capitol, we see and work with people from all walks of faith and all walks of life coming together to promote policies that serve human dignity and the common good. And one way that the Minnesota Catholic Conference tries to contribute to that dynamic is by fostering and supporting interfaith advocacy, bringing people of across the ideological spectrum and faith community together for the works of justice and to build the common good in Minnesota. So to say a little bit more about that and, and talk a little bit more about that work, um, we have with us on the line today Ann Krisnick. Ann is the executive director of the Joint Religious Legislative Coalition, which is sponsored by the Minnesota Catholic Conference and a number of other faith communities, as we'll talk about. Ann is a fantastic advocate at the Capitol for works of social justice and laws that serve human dignity and the common good. She is a, an experienced lawyer, having worked in the education field, and for the past few years has served as executive director of the JRLC. Welcome, Anne. Good to have you on the program today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. And for those who don't know, what is the Joint Religious Legislative Coalition? Yeah, I guess I'll start by saying it's very unique in Minnesota. We're the only state that has something like this, but it's a number of faith groups banding together to do work at the public policy level to make sure that the faith voice is part of what's being considered when policy decisions are being made at the Capitol. So our sponsors are, as you said, the Minnesota Catholic Conference, the Minnesota Council of Churches, the Jewish Community Relations Council, and the Islamic Center of Minnesota. And, you know, people of faith generally are very comfortable with direct service and charity, but they're less comfortable with advocacy. And we want to help them build relationships with legislators to make sure that legislators are hearing what's happening in their communities. Say a little bit more about the unique niche that the JRLC fills at the Capitol. How is it different than other groups uh, that might be advocating for various issues, some of which may be similar to JRLC and some of which may be different? I think what probably makes the JRLC most different is everything that we do is very grounded in the teachings of our Abrahamic religions. And so... Um, when people are coming to talk to legislators, they're doing that in the context of this is what we're called to do in the case of a Christian. This is what the gospel calls us to do, but talking about the language of the Quran or um, the Torah. And if you have issues where all of those faith traditions with all of their divergent um, experiences and views talk about 
things as being really core to human dignity or to justice, that's incredibly valuable. So the JLC, I think, is, is different in that way. It's also unique in that we have a statewide presence. So we have members throughout the, dis- throughout the state in every legislative district, and so it provides a much broader viewpoint, I think, of what's really happening across the state in communities around a variety of issues. Now, people might be surprised that you can build common ground uh, between the four faith communities, very diverse faith communities, very differing views on a number of issues. How does the JRLC go about trying to identify areas of common ground to build its legislative agenda between the four faith communities? I think like Stepper's saying, everyone recognizes there are some issues on which we will never reach common ground. And those are different depending on the different faith traditions. And because of our longstanding relationships, people don't bring those to the table. So we don't have people asking us to take positions on issues surrounding Palestine and Israel, for example. Um, and so the, the belief of everyone, all of our board members, there's four from each of those faith traditions, is that we want to work on those areas where we do have agreement because of the strength we bring there. And so people come to the table when we're looking at our legislative agenda with the issues that they really see as needing to be addressed in their community, those issues where there may not be a lot of advocates, um, those issues where the faith voice or something about our faith tradition is particularly valuable. And I, I think of the JRLC as trying to get legislators to look away from the spreadsheets and some of the technicalities and things and really focus back on actual people and listen to stories and how the policy and the roadmap they're creating at the Capitol impacts people throughout our state. Now, Minnesota is also unique, and as you know, in the sense that there are a lot of different faith communities that come to the Capitol as their faith community, the Minnesota Catholic Conference being one of them. You're Catholic mm-hmm. as well, but why do you think interfaith advocacy is important, that there's that presence and witness as well at the Capitol? I'm going to preface this by saying, as many people of faith that come to the Capitol, better. You know, so yes, there are a number of individual groups that do that, and that's wonderful, and the more that people keep hearing of that, that's great, in large part because people of faith have a really unique um, insight or view into what's happening in their community. But I think interfaith advocacy is important for a number of reasons. First, it shows that these aren't limited niche issues. If we have people from all different faiths and different congregations and different areas saying that these are issues that we see, whether that's something having to do with homelessness or that's something having to do with prejudice in some way, when we see that threat, it's very important. I also think it builds connections within the communities when people are jointly presenting issues and concerns and working together to address things. So it it not only changes the dynamic at the Capitol by having groups come that aren't from one church or one synagogue or one parish, but from the entire area coming in to talk to the legislators, but it also helps build relationships among those communities as they move forward and do programming or work on projects or you know, building understanding and relationships back in their home communities as well. You've said a little bit about how interfaith advocacy can enrich the debate at the Capitol. How does it enrich its participants? What are some things that you've seen about the way in which it can build bridges of dialogue and friendship across the faith communities as well? We have our, our big flagship event is we have an annual Dana Hill, and just a little plug. This year, that's April 1st, and Archbishop Hebda is going to be our keynote speaker, so we're excited about that. So on that day, I see a lot of people really talking with folks about their faith and religion. We have exhibits on different 
faith traditions that we have and people learn about those. And I think that that's a big draw, especially for people from greater Minnesota, where there may not be the same um, extent of religious diversity that we see. We also see people within their district building relationships. Part of the day on the hill is you meet with people within your legislative district and you kind of plan out how you're going to meet with your senator and your representative. And we've had a number of groups who, and we try to encourage this, who have really moved beyond just that one day. It's not about one day. We can advocate every day. So they meet, one group meets monthly at Panera, and they talk about the different social justice issues that are happening in all of their faith communities. They talk about issues that they want to work on. If there's a town hall meeting coming up with a candidate, they make sure that somebody's there. Um, but that those discussions, you learn much more, I think, about um, about people working with them on issues. And so if they're working with names and they talk about what the different sacred texts might say about that or the kinds of things that their particular congregation is working on, um, it, it really builds relationships in a way that you wouldn't have if you were individually or even just with your own faith community going to the Capitol. We also see it a number of groups, particularly outside the metropolitan area where this work can be kind of isolating, um, where this is kind of a core group that they've learned to see as someone who really shares their values and their commitment to work on behalf of the common good. The faith community is unusual in the, in the capital that we aren't going there saying, this is something in our self-interest. This will help us if... So when people are really going to legislators and saying, this is what we see, we hope you'll address these issues, the more broad perspective you have on that, the better. And once those relationships are built, you're more likely to have people, once they're back in their town, their county, whatever their area might be, reaching out to people that they've gotten to know through this process to support them in the work that they do or to inform them about things that they're doing and just to continue building those relationships. We're speaking with Ann Krisnick. Ann is the executive director of the Joint Religious Legislative Coalition, which is sponsored in part by the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Ann, when you go into a new legislator's office for the first time and introduce yourself, what is a common reaction that you receive uh, when you uh, represent uh, yourself as speaking on behalf of four diverse faith communities in Minnesota? Well, I'm pleased to say that even among new legislators, it's not uncommon for them to be familiar with the JRLC. The JRLC is really well regarded and known, so that's wonderful. I get the question framed in a bunch of different ways, but essentially the question is, how can you get along? How, how do you do this? This must be, you must have a hard job that must be really challenging. And when I talk with them kind of about how our process works, it strengthens not only the basis for whatever I'm advocating around, because part of that discussion is that all of our faith traditions talk about why these issues are important. But I think it's a real reflection of um, Minnesotans in general, that we have a group that has decided it's important to work together, and because of that we're going to respect each other's differences and honor them and listen to them and decide how to go ahead. And it, it I think it builds the strength not only of the issues we address, but it helps me if I'm talking to legislators to refer our board members have um, sometimes very long, heated discussions about things to really talk through the different aspects of, of issues. And the, the bottom line is everyone's at the Capitol. All elected officials are there because they want to make Minnesota better. They want to improve lives for Minnesotans. They want Minnesotans to be prosperous and um, healthy and successful. And people may have different ideas about how to do that. 
but when I can go in and say, this is why the, our group landed on these issues to work on, I think it's an, an incredible, um, really incredible strength to say that all of those religious faiths came to that um, decision. And legislators respect, the faith community has a lot of stature in Minnesota. So the legislators respect that they are still often really puzzled about how we do that. How do you really, how do you really work together and, and reach those um, agreements. And I just keep coming back to because the things we're working on are based in the core principles of what all of us believe. Justice, human dignity, um, people being created in the image and likeness of God, those kinds of issues. And the Joint Religious Legislative Coalition focuses its advocacy around uh, poverty relief efforts and social justice. But say a little bit about some of the recent legislative accomplishments of the JRLC to give our listeners a flavor for the types of issues that uh, we've been working on collaboratively. Well, our most recent victory that we have been working on for years is an increase to the families participating in what's called the Minnesota Family Investment Program. It's Minnesota's version of the Welfare to Work program. So these are the poorest Minnesota families. They are often low-wage workers between jobs or someone who had to leave an abusive situation and is trying to get on their feet. And there hasn't been an increase to the funds available to those families in 33 years. And so the JRLC has been actively working on this. It's been our top priority for several legislative sessions, um, working with the Children's Defense Fund and Legal Aid and um obviously the Catholic Conference and um, a number of other groups. And the legislature this year approved an increase of $100 per month for those families. So they're still struggling. You know, they, the program is only eligible to people who are below the federal poverty line. Once someone reaches the federal poverty line, they're no longer eligible to participate in the program. So we're really talking about the poorest of Minnesota families, but that $100 will make a significant difference to those parents and children. So that's probably the, the thing that we are most pleased about that happened last session because we've been working on, on it for so long. But we've also worked on um, another issue last year. One of the issues we hear a lot about in communities is homelessness, families experiencing homelessness and the challenges with that. Um, one of the programs that we have in Minnesota is called Child Care Assistance Program, and it helps low and moderate income families with the cost of child care so that parents can either go to school or they can be working. And as they move into economic stability, they receive less and less funding in that program until eventually they move off of it. But one of the stories that we hear when we talk with folks is that if I'm working a low-wage job and I suddenly get laid off or my company closes so I don't have a job anymore, I lose my apartment. Many of these families are really living paycheck to paycheck. And once I am no longer working, I'm no longer eligible for child care assistance. So I'm now in the process of looking for a place to live and looking for new employment when no one's watching my children. So aside from the practical challenge to that of the parent, it's an incredibly disruptive time for children. And so one of the things that we worked on this last year that also was passed was that those families experiencing homelessness would be eligible to continue to remain in the child care assistance program for three months as they look for work. Um, we also worked on expediting the time that they take to work on uh, or the, the application process. So currently the county has 30 days. And as I'm sure your listeners know, um, most county workers are incredibly um, overwhelmed with all the things that they're expected to do. And so it often takes much longer than we'd like. And so the, a change in the law requires that for homeless 
um, families experiencing homelessness that has to happen within five days. Uh, kind of a different sort of issue that we worked on, we worked really closely with the Jewish Community Relations Council to get funding through the public safety budget to help places of worship protect themselves against acts of terrorism, security kinds of things. So, for example, when the bombing happened at the Dar al-Farouk Mosque in Bloomington a few years ago, their budget had not allowed them to have video cameras. So they had no visual record of what had happened. And that's common with a lot of our places of worship, that if you have funds, you're using it to fix your roof or pay the electricity bill. If you have extra funds, you want to put that into programs either for your own prisoners or for people in the community. And so work to get additional funding. And over the next two years, there'll be $450,000 available to nonprofit places of worship to really help make sure that those places are secure. People shouldn't have to be afraid in their place of worship. They should feel safe. And it's clear under your leadership, the JRLC is covering a lot of important ground at the Capitol. So thank you for that. Um, We've just got another minute here. What are some issues heading into 2020 that uh, our listeners should be aware of, things that are uh, high on the JRLC priority list? We are looking at issues. You hear a lot of talk about criminalizing poverty. One of the issues we've been working on, and I'm sure we'll work on um, significantly more this year, is the whole concept that if I get a traffic violation and I can't get a fine, my license gets suspended. Not because I'm a dangerous driver, but simply because I don't have the ability to pay. So we're looking at issues around fees and fines. We'll continue to look at child care assistance and the, the real crisis that we see in many parts of the state for families who can't find child care, for employers who are unable to find quality workers. Um, it's a bonding year this year, so there'll be a lot of talk and work around um, Housing issues, both how do we create affordable housing, how do we preserve the affordable housing that we have, um, what are we going to do about the many needs for emergency shelter, there's especially a significant homeless problem for families and for youth and for elderly in terms of the places that are available. And I think there'll be a lot of talk this, this next session of the Capitol around issues such as, um, you know, gun safety, expansion of gambling, issues like that. So we'll like to weigh in on those as well. And thank you for your work and for your advocacy for those who wish to get more involved in interfaith advocacy and the unique opportunities that brings and the positive benefits that it can have to our public discourse. Uh, Listeners can learn more at jrlc.org. And as Ann mentioned, there is an annual day on the Hill. Next year's 2020 will be on April 1st. No fooling. Archbishop Hebda (laughs) will be the keynote speaker. So we're excited about Archbishop Hebda speaking at JRLC Day on the Hill. Uh, April 1st, 2020. More information forthcoming at jrlc.org. Ann Krisnick, Executive Director of the Joint Religious Legislative Coalition. Thanks for your leadership and thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and the public life of our state. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and every week we delve into our mailbag where we here get your comments and questions and try to address those and help keep you informed about what's going on in Minnesota and around the nation. Kit, what do we have in our mailbag segment this week? Lately in Minnesota, there's been a lot of discussion this summer about a possible special session 
And particularly, the special session would be for lawmakers to try to find a consensus on a bill to provide insulin to those who cannot afford it. So today's mailbag question is asking, what is a special session? Why would it be needed? And in that session, can lawmakers only bring up one bill or one issue? Well, constitutionally, the legislature can only meet during certain times of the year and usually has to end its business late in May. And there's a good reasons for that constitutionally and uh, politically, historically. Uh, there was a sense that we didn't want lawmakers uh, in having too much time to engage in mischief. More laws weren't necessarily seen as a good thing. And at the same time, we had citizen legislators who couldn't take extended time away from their families, their businesses, their farms, et cetera, et cetera. So there are normal requirements and parameters around when the legislature can meet in Minnesota. But obviously, we there's provision for emergencies and things that need to get done in a time-sensitive manner. And uh, But only the governor has the power to call special sessions. Those can take place at any time for any uh, length of time. They could take uh, even one day a special session could last. Usually what happens is that the governor and the, and the legislative leaders will get together. They'll come up with an approved agenda that they all agree on. The governor will call the special session. They'll meet. They'll uh, set out to do what they need to do, if it's whether it's a, a bill like um, uh, an emergency storm relief package. There's talk this year, again, as Kit said, about insulin uh, a relief for skyrocketing insulin prices for diabetes patients, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what the governor can't do is control what happens once the legislature is in session. And so typically they have ironclad agreements about how long those last. And there's very clear guidelines. Uh, and those are become very public about what they're intending to do and what they're not intending to do and how long they expect it to last. Because again, once that special session is actually called by the governor, uh, then it's up to the legislature to uh, execute that special session and then adjourn appropriately when they've concluded their short-term business. So that's how the special session works. Um, we usually have them in budget years, odd-numbered years, uh, when they're when a budget agreement, uh, a constitutionally required balanced budget agreement, can't get worked out in the normal session. Oftentimes, there's uh, politicking back and forth and negotiations, and then they'll eventually come to an agreement and then call a special session uh, to finalize the details. And that's happened uh, most odd-numbered years over the last decade. In fact, because of the reality of divided government here in Minnesota. Thank you for that. So before we go today, we have a few more minutes, but we'd like to give our listeners some practical ways that they can start living out their faith in the public arena, ways that you can really become a disciple at the Capitol. How can you bring your faith into the public arena? So each week we're going to provide you with practical ways to help bridge the gap between faith and politics. What do we have this week, Jason? Well, October is Respect Life Month, and here in Minnesota there's a great opportunity to bring your faith into public life. And uh, often we joke that we need more talking, uh, or more, less talking and more processions. And uh, uh, this, in fact, is an important thing, bringing Jesus and our faith into the streets, being that public presence. And we've had a beautiful blessing here in Minnesota as the Archdiocesan rosary processions have occurred for years and years and years, decades, really. Um, every year they happen in May, uh, the month of Mary, and then also October, which is Respect Life Month as well. And uh, which also commemorates uh, Our Lady of the Rosary, Our Lady of Victory, October 7th, 
um, is a important Marian feast day as well. And so every year in October and May, we have an archdiocesan rosary procession. And there's one coming up Friday, October 4th, uh, is the 17th annual candlelight rosary procession, which starts on the steps of the state capitol. How appropriate to start on the state cap steps of the state capitol and then process to the cathedral. Everyone is asked to gather uh, for the candlelight procession starting at 6.30 on the Capitol steps and then process to the Cathedral of St. Paul where uh, more prayers will begin at 7 a 7 p.m. The Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis puts on this procession twice a year in conjunction with the family rosary procession. It is a beautiful event and a beautiful ceremony um, and something you really want to be a part of if you haven't been a part of that. We need to pray for our legislators. We need to pray uh, that our state will be covered in the protection of Mary's mantle, that through her intercession, uh, we may have a public culture that is purified and renewed, where wisdom, legislators have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of discernment, a discernment. and especially as we uh, look at so many issues that, that challenge and, and are there that, to uh, make stumbling blocks for souls, um, especially in areas related to purity, that through her immaculate heart, we may have legislators whose minds and hearts are pure, who make good decisions that foster and don't create uh, barriers to purity in the hearts of so many, especially as we talk about things like comprehensive sex education, uh, surrogacy, uh, the, re the legalization of marijuana, gambling expansion, et cetera, et cetera, things that not only have an impact on our souls, but on the people around us um, and create challenges for them. There are no such things as isolated sins or um, individual sins that we can keep covered up. Our sins have an effect on everyone, and so we need to pray for purity in our lives purity in our public culture, and Mary's intercession is a powerful way to do that. Some ask why we have processions. Uh, for our Catholic culture, our processions are an intimate part of our liturgical and spiritual life, going back to the days of the people of God uh, in the Old Testament. Um, of course, processions are an important part of uh, the Jewish community as well. Catholic processions are a type of pilgrimage um, in many places, and that's why we have uh, processions that you can't always make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land or walk the Camino de Santiago, but we can make smaller type pilgrimages, and uh, the small one goes from the capital uh, to the cathedral. And uh, an important but symbolic short pilgrimage, uh, underscoring the importance of praying for our leaders, our public culture, and our public life. Processions remind us um, that our Christian life is a constant movement toward God and our eternal home. Again, that symbolism of going to the capital uh, and into the cathedral. Now, one might call it moving from the profane to the sacred, uh, but at the same time, we recognize that we can make all areas permeate uh, with the gospel. We are, after all, a pilgrim people and a pilgrim church, and the procession uh, is a communication that, of that to the broader community, but also we live it ourselves in the reality of a procession, which is a physical testimony to our belief in that reality of being a pilgrim people and a pilgrim church. And of course, these processions are also a great, important form of piety, especially the ones in the archdiocese as a devotion to our Blessed Mother. May her immaculate heart triumph. For more information about the candlelight rosary procession on October 4th, again, gather at 630 at the Capitol steps and process to the cathedral at 7. You can find more details and information by visiting minnesotarosaryprocessions.org. Again, that's minnesotarosaryprocessions.org. That's all the time we have for today, but remember, you or your organization can become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder. By doing so, you will help others bring the Catholic faith into public life. 
Becoming a sponsor of the Bridge Builder Show is a great opportunity for businesses and organizations to advertise. Let listeners know that you support bringing the Catholic faith into public life. For more information, contact our producer, Kit Cross, via email at show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org for more sponsorship opportunities. Listeners, remember you can also be a part of our mailbag segment. Just send any of your questions or comments to show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Then tune in next week to find out if we include your question or comment. Remember that you can catch up on any past episodes online at mncatholic.org slash podcast or search for the Bridge Builder podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in today to the Bridge Builder. We're grateful to Ann Krisnick of the Joint Religious Legislative Coalition for joining us. Again, the Minnesota Catholic Conference is a sponsor of the JRLC, and you can find out more about JRLC at jrlc.org. Remember their day on the hill next year, April 1st, 2020. We don't have Catholics at the Capitol every year. It's every other year, but JRLC day on the hill happens every year. And next year, Archbishop Hebda will be speaking on April 1st, 2020. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and new ways to live your faith in public life and be a missionary disciple at the Capitol. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.